Thank you. You can have a seat. If you would, go ahead and uh, turn to doing in the series. I've had a part in it. You've submitted questions for us to look at every Sunday, and uh, usually I've dealt with one uh, every Sunday, and uh, sometimes we'll roll in a few other questions uh, in with that one if they kind of tie in together. And uh, and so today we're continuing in that series, Ask God Anything. Uh, I I do want to say that uh, for those who turn in questions maybe that don't make it into a Sunday morning message necessarily, some of those questions are not always conducive to an actual message. Sometimes they're just, a, you know, they're, they're a quicker answer than, than a full-blown message or uh, maybe they're not applicable necessarily to everybody. Uh, well, those questions, many of those, uh, we're dealing with in a different format with a podcast that we just started this past week. And uh, we, we dropped the first episode every Tuesday. There'll be another one that'll drop. And so uh, the name of the podcast is called um, Chasing the Rabbit. And so it's going to be the five of us as pastors. And uh, we, we have a little fun with it as well. And then it gets a little spiritual as well at the same time. And, and the spiritual part of that is that we deal with some of the questions that don't necessarily make it into a message on a Sunday morning. And so if you want to check that out, I think that's in our newsletter today there in front of you. It went out uh, in the digital newsletter that went out on Fridays. And so it's available on the Apple Podcasts and also Spotify at the same time as well. And so uh, be sure to check that out. I think it's uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it. But it is kind of another hook in the water, a way to help reach some folks and also uh, answer some of these questions at the same time as well. Then we'll see what we'll do with that podcast once we finish up with all these questions. It'll keep us busy for a little while, I believe. So ask God anything. Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be. So one of the things that I really enjoy about Scripture is that it reads differently than most any other book. Uh, Scripture is filled with uh, what you call word pictures. It's those instances where maybe you know what a word picture is. It's when you're speaking and, and you can either just use basic words to describe an event or, or uh, to try to explain something, or you can use vivid imagery in your words, and, and you can just sort of bring that statement to life in what's called a word picture. A word picture provides just a mental image of whatever it is you're trying to communicate, and Scripture does it real well. If you're not familiar with this whole idea of what a word picture is, let me just give you an example. It has nothing to do <clears throat> with... Um, with scripture, but this, this would be an example. You can make a statement like this, the sailor rode across the lake, right? That's just a basic statement of fact. There's the sailor somewhere and he rode across a lake. Or you could give it a little bit of a word picture, paint it this way. The sunburned sailor leaned into the wind, straining at the oars as he bravely crossed the watery depths, right? You have this image in your mind now, this word picture of this sailor. He's, he's sunburned, he's the seasoned veteran. He's got these muscles and he's leaning into the wind and he's just got this face going and he's got these muscles as he's rowing this boat across this expansive body of water. That's a word picture, right? That's what a word picture is. Here's another example um, maybe you can relate to. To avoid the risk of unimaginable regret, the young husband dug deeply into his pockets for his last $30 to purchase delicious chocolates for his bride on Valentine's Day. That's tomorrow, guys, by the way. That's a word picture, which you could conclude by saying, which were eventually devoured by their kids like wild animals. And so that, that's, a, that's another word picture. So, so you get this idea, word picture. And the Bible's filled with word pictures. In fact, the passage we're going to look at today is a word picture. It uses certain words, specific words, to bring to mind this visual image that helps us to understand what is being said, what is being dealt with, what is being explained. In this context, in Romans chapter 12, and the Bible is filled with those kinds of word questions or word pictures. And so let's go ahead and jump into the question before we look in the passage. This was the actual question that was submitted word for word anonymously some time ago. 
uh, for this um, Ask God Anything series, and so let's go ahead and jump in. This is the question. It says, in Romans 12, 1, we are compelled to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, as an aspect of our spiritual worship and helping us to determine the will of God. I love the way this question is written. Uh, what? I don't get how we do that, all right? So it's just a real honest question. And the reason for the confusion is because the word picture that is being painted here of a living sacrifice. I mean, what on earth exactly is a living sacrifice? Well, that not only is that a word picture, but at the same time, it's also an oxymoron. And uh, you, you remember maybe from school what an oxymoron is, that it's two words that are paired together that really shouldn't, fit, they shouldn't belong together. They don't belong together because they communicate two different things. When they're put together, however, they communicate their own little phrase, like jumbo shrimp, right? Jumbo shrimp don't fit together. Deafening silence, those two words don't fit together. How can you have silence that is deafening or small crowd. You can't have those things. They, they don't really fit together necessarily. When you look at this particular phrase that's used in, uh, in this burning question, or, or actually even in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, living sacrifice, what exactly is that? What, what, is, what is being communicated here? Well, for us to understand what this word picture is, this living sacrifice, let's actually read it in the passage that, that Paul writes it in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So let's not just read the question, let's read the actual verse itself. So here's Paul, he's writing, and he says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. It's not just a living sacrifice, he says a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So what exactly is this verse saying? What is Paul speaking of when he is talking about presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice or a living and a holy sacrifice? Well, before we begin to unpack that, let me just say that this verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, is one of the absolute most important verses in all of the Christian life. It is one of the key verses to such a degree where I would say this, that if we get this verse right in our lives and the way we live it out, not just understand it, but live it out, if we get this verse right, to a large degree, in essence, we're going to get the Christian life right as believers. But if we miss this verse, it is so important, this verse is so foundational that if we miss this verse, if we miss the essence of it, if we miss the understanding of it, and if we fail, even if we understand it, if we fail to live it out, if we miss it, then we miss the essence of the Christian life to a large degree as well. It is that important. It's not a verse that we can just read and then scoot on through the rest of Romans before we get to the remainder of the New Testament. It is a verse that we must do business with. We have to examine it, we have to consider it, we have to chew on it, and we have to determine what we're ultimately going to do with it. And what we do with it is going to determine the whole scope and, and, and the level of fulfillment of your Christian life. Either you're going to hit it exactly the way it's supposed to be, or you're going to miss it and miss what it's designed to be. So what's the context of this passage? Paul is writing, he's writing to a group of Christians in Rome. We don't know how these Christians got to Rome. We don't know how Rome uh, uh, was populated with believers by the time wrote this, uh, by the time Paul wrote this. But what we do know is that there were believers living there because Paul wrote them a letter. 
Now, more than likely, it goes back to Acts chapter 2. If you remember in Acts 2, Peter is preaching at Pentecost, and as he's preaching, he shares the gospel, and there were many people, 3,000 that day, that placed their faith in Jesus. And as a result of that, what happened was many of those people, they were Jews by heritage, but they lived in other nations. And so in Acts 2, when they come to Jerusalem at Pentecost, Peter is preaching this message. He shares the gospel, tells about Jesus. Many of them bow their lives before Jesus. 3,000 of them are baptized that day. They have a brand new life. They have a brand new start. They are now re-identified as followers of Jesus. And boom, when the party's over, they all go back to their own individual nations. And what we can assume is that some of them were Romans who ultimately made it back to Rome and they did what believers are supposed to do. They lived out their faith, they lived it out publicly, and ultimately they spread the message of the gospel, churches were planted, and now years later Paul's writing a letter to them. And he writes this letter to these believers who were in the city of Rome, and what we find here in Romans 12:1, he's talking about a very Jewish topic, that being sacrifice. Now, there, be more, there may be more than three, but this morning I want to just remind us that there are three basic types of sacrifices we see in Scripture. One would be the Old Testament sacrifices that we read of in the Old Testament. We dealt with some of those in the past couple of messages, actually. The Old Testament sacrifice, some of you are familiar with those, right? It's when the, the family or the person would go to the temple, they would bring their animal with them, a, a bull or a sheep or a goat, and they would come to the temple. They would offer that animal uh, to the priest on the altar, ultimately, for that to be sacrificed. And that animal would be, would be sacrificed for a reason. That was part of the Old Testament sacrificial system. It was partly to cover over their sin for a season. Not permanently, not completely, but just to kind of cover it over temporarily for a season. Part of that Old Testament sacrifice was not just animals, it was also produce. They'd bring kind of the fruit of their land, they'd bring that, they'd offer it to the Lord to the, to, you know, there in the temple. And every time, those sacrifices were an act of worship. They weren't just, hey, let me, let me get some wheat here. Hey, let's, uh, gra- gra- hey, 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 Timmy, grab a bull, you know, grab a, grab a, a lamb from the, from the pen. We got to go to the temple. It wasn't that. This was worship. Every time they offered sacrifices, it was designed to be worship to the Lord. That's one kind of sacrifice we read of in the scripture. The second sacrifice was the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross in the New Testament. It was a very real sacrifice that was offered. In fact, look at what it says here on the, on the screen behind me, Hebrews chapter 10, <clears throat> beginning in verse 11, we see a description of this sacrifice. Hebrews 10 verse 11, <clears throat> it says by, or verse 11, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices. That's a reference to those Old Testament sacrifices. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Why would he sit down at the right hand of God? Because his work was finished. Waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. That's a time yet to come when it will be evident to everyone, Christian, pagan, everyone, that Jesus is Lord. Right? So this is the second sacrifice. And, and what we have to understand is that for us in our Christian walk, really for, for us, when we think about the hope of this whole entire world, it's rooted in the fact that Jesus came as a sacrifice, as a substitute. And, and listen, we as believers, we can kind of tune out at this point. We can grow a little bit dull, right? And we can get kind of glazy-eyed a little bit. But we have to remember that if we lose sight of this, this is what our whole entire our, our faith rests on, is that Jesus, our Savior, came and he gave himself and he died and he rose again again. And so this is a second sacrifice that we read of in scripture. And the third type of sacrifice is the sacrifice of our lives presented to God in 
surrender. That's the third sacrifice. There's the Old Testament sacrifices in the Bible. There's Jesus' sacrifice in the Bible. And then there's the sacrifice of our lives that are surrendered to God completely. That's the sacrifice that Romans chapter 12, verse 1, is dealing with. I'm going to give you a couple of principles this morning as we chase this through some of the scriptures. And I hope you'll jot this down. The first principle is this, that Jesus models for us what it looks like to present our bodies, to present your body as a living sacrifice. Jesus models for us what that looks like. He's the perfect model of that. So if you're taking this to its conclusion, what, what you may be thinking now, is, all right, Brooke, so, so let me get this straight. So are you telling me if Jesus is our perfect model of what it looks like to present our body as a living sacrifice, are you telling me then that he wants us to be crucified? No, we know that's not the answer. He's not telling us to be crucified. For us to understand what that means is we have to go back to the step before Jesus died on the cross. We have to go back a little bit before he ultimately was nailed to that Roman cross because the key component was not just him giving his body to be crucified. The key component came before that when he surrendered his will to the will of the Father. And it was when Jesus surrendered his will to the will of the Father, that was, in my opinion, disagree if you'd like, that was equally as important as what took place on the cross. For if Jesus does not surrender his will to the will of the Father, there is no cross, there is no substitute, there is no sacrifice, there is no forgiveness, there is no hope, there is no salvation, there is no eternal life. Before he would ever present his body on a cross, he modeled for us what it looks like to be a living sacrifice when he surrendered ultimately his will. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, just a little bit before, I believe, what I just read a while ago. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, it says, Therefore, when he comes, when Jesus comes into the world, he says, all right, this is Jesus speaking, sacrifice and offering, he says to the Father, you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, that whole Old Testament system, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Before he ever sacrificed his body, he surrendered his will. Luke chapter 22, verse 42. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. Verse 42, Luke 22, saying, Father, he's praying to the Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. What Jesus is praying there, he knew what it would cost him to be crucified. He knew that when he took our sin on himself, that when he became sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that when he was made sin on our behalf, that that would require that sin to be paid for, and the Father would turn from him. There would be a separation there. That's why he said from the cross, Father, Father, why have you what? Forsaken me, right? And so Jesus here, 100% man, 100% God, in the Garden of Gethsemane is praying, and he prays, Lord, if there is any other way to do this thing, let, let, let's do it, right? Let's do it. If there's any other option available, let's take that. But at the end of the day, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He models for us what it looks like to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And I will say, your, your will, your will is, is both the key to a fulfilling Christian life, and it's also your biggest obstacle to a fulfilling Christian life. It, it, it's two sides of a coin. 
your will, your ability to say no. Well, the Lord said, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to handle this, this decision. This is what I, what I require of you. When the Lord applies his right and reign over our lives, we have the option to say no. And the ability to impose our will, we also have the option to obey. The ability we have to impose our will, either to disobey and say no or to obey and say yes, that is either going to ultimately set you up for great fulfillment in your Christian life or it's going to set you up for a road of heartache. Are we going to worship God or are we not? Are we going to worship him on his terms or not? Are we going to yield our desires to him? Are we going to yield our hopes to him, our fears? Are we going to bring everything to him, to where he truly ultimately is Lord? Jesus submitted his will to the will of the Father, and he modeled for us what we should do as well. Let's go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 now, having kind of set that, set that stage. Let's go back to Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. You know what? Some, some people would say, <clears throat> well, we don't live the way they did in the Old Testament. We don't offer sacrifices anymore. Right? We don't offer sacrifices like they did back in the Old Testament. I would disagree. We do offer sacrifices just like they did in the Old Testament, except the sacrifice that's being offered is not an animal, it's you, right? But the sacrificial system still exists. Jesus fulfilled the sacrifice that the blood of animals offered temporarily. He fulfilled it, Hebrews says, once and for all. He ultimately fulfilled that. But the sacrificial system, as it comes to yielding your life as a sacrifice to God, remember, every time they brought the grain in and they offered that as a harvest, uh, as, a, as an offering, every time they placed the, an animal there on the altar to the priest as an offering, they were bringing themselves to God every time. Remember, it was an act of worship. And in the same way that they came to God with their full heart, with all of themselves, and they offered themselves as a sacrifice to God, in the same way that Old Testament sacrifice was given, we are also still today offering ourselves in sacrifice. Look at what it says in verse 1. He says, I urge you, brethren, Paul says. Now, God wrote the whole Bible. He used different people to ultimately write it through. Here in this context is Paul, like I said, writing to the Roman believers. Paul is using very vivid imagery here in this language. It's not just living sacrifice that's the word picture, but this word here, it's the Greek word parakaleo, and he's not just saying, I urge you. He could say, I beseech you. He could say, I exhort you. He could say, I plead with you. He could say, I beg you. Paul can say any of that. He is getting the point across here at the very beginning of verse 1. When he says, I urge you, brethren, I urge you, fellow Christians, listen to everything I'm about to say because it is foundational to your Christian life. Your fulfillment in your Christian life, whether you hit the bullseye or whether you miss the target, is going to be based on what you do with what I'm about to say, he says here in verse 1. We'd be saved by turning from our will. We are matured by turning from our will. Jesus would even ramp it up further. Luke chapter 9, look at what Jesus says here in Luke chapter 9. <clears throat> he gives us a definition of what this looks like. Luke 9 verse 23, Jesus is speaking. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It is a surrender of the will. It, he, he could not be more clear. Deny himself, take up his cross daily, 
and follow me. Romans chapter 6, Paul is writing in the same book to the Roman believers in chapter 6, a passage we've dealt with a couple of times over the last couple of weeks or so. Luke chapter six, or, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 13. He says, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. There's that picture of that sacrifice, that offering. Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I mean, Paul is saying the same thing there in Romans chapter 6 as he said in Romans chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, Paul speaks about himself. He says, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. He's painting this picture that when we think of presenting ourselves as living sacrifices, following the example of Jesus, it's not us on a cross physically. He's painting this picture that in the same way, let's connect the dots, that Jesus surrendered his will to the Father and then took the cross, we are also to die to ourselves, die to our plans, die to to our ownership of our own life. We die to all of that and we ultimately surrender ourselves to his will, surrender ourselves to him. I mean, this is, this is huge, huge stuff. I mean, it is foundational to our Christian life. Whether we have one where we just ultimately just flounder through our whole Christianity and our whole entire walk and, and we, we get off into the weeds over and over and over or, and where we just we, we feel like we're, we're just not even able to see the target anymore. I know we all go through seasons like that, but there are some, that, that's, the, that's the tone, that's the tenor of their whole entire relationship with God is just off in the weeds all the time, just, just not able to really engage with him. Or if we're going to have one where we hit the target and we hit the bullseye and our walk with him is rich and it's deep and it's fulfilling, not easy, but rich and deep and fulfilling because every day, we surrender ourselves as a living sacrifice before him. I was doing some study for this message, and um, there's a website. I think I feel comfortable mentioning this now because I've used it enough. I don't know. Sure as I say that, you'll go to it and find something that's not helpful. <laughs> but... Um, it's a website called gotquestions.org. Some of you may be familiar with that. It's, it's, uh, it's a really, really good website. If you've got questions, right, then you can go to this website. It's, it's, uh, everything I've seen there has been really straightforward, um, has been incredibly biblical and trustworthy from what I've seen. Um, I came across this in my, in my study this week, and it was a quote that I didn't want to just leave in my prep time, I wanted to bring it to you. Take a look at what this says. There's not even an author to it. I mean, they vet their people, obviously, but it's just from their website. Quote, I die daily echoes Jesus's command to those who want to follow him. Quote, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take his cross daily, and follow me. The mention of a cross by a Jewish rabbi would have been shocking to first century Jews. The cross was a torture tool introduced by the Romans to terrorize those who would speak against Caesar. The cross was a public humiliation that always represented death, always. 
So when Jesus said that in order to follow him, we must carry a cross, he meant that something must die before we can live. We must die to ourselves, our rights, and our desire to be our own boss. We must die daily. Go back to verse 1. Let's go back to Romans 12, 1 again. He says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is, the end of it is important, which is your spiritual service of worship. In the Greek language, that word that's rendered spiritual there could also mean rational or reasonable. I think in the King James even, I think it says reasonable is where it, where it says that. And, and, and so it could be rendered different ways. In other words, it's almost as though, though Paul is saying, for you to present your life as a living sacrifice, yielding your will, yielding yourself to him completely, it's almost as though he says, this is the only reasonable response to a person in relationship with a God who gave his whole life for you. Right? There, there's no other reasonable response. This whole one foot in the world, one foot with Jesus, I serve him on Sundays, but not Monday through Saturday. I serve him whenever I'm in with people, but when nobody's looking, I do that. that foreign, completely, totally foreign to Paul, totally and completely foreign to Jesus, totally and completely foreign to the Bible. It's like if, it, if this is what he's really done for you, he says to the believer, myself included, if this is what he's done for you, there is nothing too much for you to do in response to him. The only reasonable thing to you is to crawl up like a living sacrifice up on his altar and to just say, Lord, here I am, do with me as you will. It's the only reasonable response to a Savior who would ultimately uh, take hell so that you can hit heaven. It's the only reasonable response Paul seems to be saying here. Redefines worship. Worship is not me standing up here and preaching. I can stand up here and preach and my will be as opposed to God as, as, as someone who doesn't even know him and God count it as this much worship. You can stand up here on a platform with a microphone, sing songs that everybody hopes you'll sing again the next week. You can stand on a choir riser, sing in unison like nobody's business, like nobody has ever seen. You can lead ministries, you can lead Bible studies, you can teach grow groups, you can go across the ocean to other countries, but if our will is not surrendered to God, I'm not sure he counts what we do so much as worship. He shows us what worship is, shows us what it looks like. I'm alive, but I'm dead. Do with me as you will, Lord. In verse 2, by the way, he deals with the enemy of presenting ourselves to God as living sacrifices. Verse 2, look at what he says back in Romans chapter 12. And do not be conformed to this world. In other words, don't be squeezed into the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be changed so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed. Be transformed. Be changed by the renewing of our minds. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, Jesus is speaking, and he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Towards the close of the New Testament, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, 
verse 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Sanctify, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Principle number two, your life is a sacrifice to something already. Every one of us here, our life is a sacrifice to something. It's either a sacrifice to ourselves, where we run the show, we call the shots, we're on the throne. It's a sacrifice to some idol, some stronghold, some pursuit, some passion that supersedes Jesus. Or it's a sacrifice to Christ, and every one of us, I believe, occupying a seat in this room is sacrificed to something, and it's one of those three, either ourselves, some stronghold, or our Savior. When you came in, you got an envelope there on your, on your seat. If you would, I want you to take that, and I want you to open it up. Every one of them are the same. There's nothing free inside, by the way. First service, somebody opened it up early before we even started and thought it was they were going to get a free cookie or something. You're not going to get that. Two simple words that I think are the synopsis of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? I don't get it. I think it's this. The word no, the word Lord. For those of you who have a relationship with Jesus, you only really get to circle one as the basic tone of your Christian life. Think, think carefully, Christian. You only get to circle one to define who you are. If you circle Lord, it's going to cost you. No is not an option. The Lord says, I want you to do this. If he says, if he's Lord, knows not in the vocabulary. He says, I want this for you. If he's Lord, no is not on the table. Can't have both. Your response is going to be either no or Lord. And if you circle Lord, there are going to be days when it's not easy. Uh, full disclosure. <laughs> I mean, you take the disciples, all 11, I would say, outside of Judas, I would count as dying martyrs' deaths. I would count John dying in exile as that. Doesn't mean it'll happen to you. It might. Or it might come in a different way when it's a choice between him and yourself and his will and yours. If you're not ready for that, perhaps just at least be authentic and have the integrity enough to say that, you know, if the tone of my life is not that I, that I, don't, want to, I don't want to really follow him as my Lord, I would like to share that responsibility or I would just rather do my thing and I'll just keep coming on Sundays, then perhaps the right response for you would be to circle no, which also comes at a cost. 
Anytime we're the boss of our own life, there's a cost. <laughs> you just have to choose to quit playing games and say, man, I'm either all in or I'm all out. He had a word for the in-between. It was called lukewarm. The revelation doesn't paint a good picture of what lukewarm looks like. So which would you circle today? Adam's going to play for the next half a minute, minute. Chew on it. Pray about it. Consider it and worship in your response as you decide and as you circle your choice. heads bowed and eyes closed I've just spoken to those who are followers of Jesus believers I want to speak to mo- for a moment to those who've never made that decision to give your life to Christ in the first place any given Sunday my expectation is that there are people that are here or people who are watching who've never truly made the decision to yield and to bow their life before the person of Jesus If you're one of those today and you've never given your life to Christ, you've never trusted him, invited him to forgive and to take over your life, that's an option for you that exists this morning right where you sit. Maybe the Lord today is speaking in your heart and he's, there's just this overwhelming sense that something is different today for you, that you feel ready to make this decision. Maybe there's even a struggle that's there because you know the weight, you know what it means to say yes to him as Lord. You know that life is going to be different. But man, I encourage you that if you feel that sense of him drawing you to himself today, to not give him the stiff arm and don't push him to the curb and don't just try to push that down until you can get out of this place. But man, make the one decision that's going to change forever for you. And right where you sit today, would you just invite him to forgive you of all your sin that's broken your relationship with God? And ask Jesus, God, who died and who rose. He's done everything needed for you to have that sin forgiven. Right where you sit, why don't you just invite him to forgive you and to save you and to take over. You can tell him in a simple prayer, Lord Jesus, I know that I need you. I believe that you're God and that you died and that you rose again. I know that I've sinned. And I admit that sin to you today. And as an act of my will, the best that I can, I turn from it. And I invite you, Jesus, to forgive me and to take over my life. And I trust you alone for salvation. In your name I pray. Amen. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed. Maybe for you, for the first time, you prayed 
a prayer like that, or maybe, maybe you've always wondered, and today you've just kind of nailed that down. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but I am going to ask you to just check that box on that connection card and let us have a way to contact you, to encourage you in your new walk, to give you some resources that will help you in your journey with the Lord. <clears throat> maybe for some of you, you've already been in relationship with Jesus for a long time, but there's been an area of your life where you've taken over back into your control again and with heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe this little exercise and this passage has helped you to see that, you know what, I don't want to be in charge anymore. You can just confess that sin to the Lord and He'll forgive you and cleanse you. And Lord, we thank you for the range of decisions that may have been made this morning here in this place. And Lord, we pray that as we've committed ourselves to you, Lord, as living sacrifices, God, knowing that the draw of the world is going to seek to pull us back down off that altar and living life on our own terms, God, may we be diligent every day to present ourselves fresh and new, not to be saved all over again. We don't need that. But to be presented to you as a living sacrifice that you might do with us whatever you desire, knowing that your way and your will can always be trusted. And it is always better than anything this world can offer. And so, Lord, we praise you today for accepting the life that's yielded to Jesus. May you get glory through the lives that we live. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.